In the book of Genesis, last week we looked at the first verses in the Bible and considered the ways in which God brings order out of chaos. We pick up today on the afternoon of the sixth day as God creates human beings, and we consider the question of human uniqueness as it is taught to us in the book of Genesis. So as we now turn our attention to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us bow for a word of prayer. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. All this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Word made flesh. Amen. The New Testament lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. I invite you now to listen for God's Word to you. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius coin and let me see it. And they brought one. Then Jesus said to them, Whose head is this and whose image? They answered, The emperor's. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Our second reading this morning comes from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. 
and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1967, the American historian Lynn White gained widespread attention when he argued that the Judeo-Christian tradition was directly responsible for the planet's degradation. White cited a link between the dominion assigned to human beings in the Genesis narrative and the rationale that underpins humanity's conquest and exploitation of the natural world, what he calls orthodox Christian arrogance toward nature. White's analysis in his article is dense and somewhat complicated, but his conclusion is unequivocal. He wrote, science and technology joined to give mankind powers which are out of control, and Christianity bears a huge burden of guilt. White argued that Christianity is the most anthropocentric religion of all time, that is, human-centered. Despite Copernicus, he wrote, all the cosmos rotates around our little globe. Despite Darwin, we are not in our hearts part of the natural process. We are superior to nature, contemptuous of it, willing to use it for our slightest whim. Now, White was writing as a self-professed churchman himself, and 50 years later, his prediction that the ecologic crisis would continue seems sadly to be proven true. But what of his claim of Christian culpability in it all? Does the Genesis narrative in fact suggest that the rest of creation has no reason for existence other than to serve human beings? Many Christians seem to think so. A 2018 article in the Journal of Environmental Politics reported on an extensive survey of Christian attitudes towards the environment and concluded that across many measures, Christians tend to show less concern about the environment than the general public. And this pattern usually holds true across Catholic, Protestant, and other Christian denominations. And perhaps most surprisingly, it doesn't vary depending on levels of religiosity. Maybe it seems strange to you, as it does to me, that in many cases those who believe that God created the earth seem to care less about it than those who think the earth just happens to be here. Today's data seem to lend credence to White's hypothesis from half a century ago. If indeed Christians often maintain this line of thinking, then a close reading of today's text from Genesis is certainly warranted. As the sixth day winds down, God has already made all the animals, from the beasts of the field to the cattle to the creeping things that creep along the ground. It was already a pretty good day's work. But God was not done for the day. The tenor of the creation account changes, and God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. And so God creates human beings accordingly. Certain observations are immediately obvious. The terms image and likeness 
are new to the creation narrative, applied only to human beings among the rest of creation. And what's more, the humans are to have dominion over every creature with the breath of life in its lungs. It's in this discrepancy or this change of tone and vocabulary that White draws his critique of the supposed anthropocentrism of the Christian tradition. We might ask then what Scripture means when it says that humans are made in the image of God. Well, most simply, the claim that humans bear the divine image is a claim that humans are unique in some way from among the rest of creation. But beyond this very general statement, it's a very nebulous and unclear idea that has challenged Christian theologians for centuries. How do humans bear the divine image? All sorts of speculation can be found as you read back through the Christian tradition. St. Augustine, for example, believed that being made in the image of God referred to the intellectual or rational capacity of the human soul. Humans have minds that can contemplate God, but also remain always dependent upon God, such that humans are free in terms of will, but always in need of the sustenance of our Creator. Others have hypothesized that being made in God's image means that we have a heightened capacity for moral thinking and action. We know right and wrong. Or some special agency and freedom of self-determination. Or the ability of conscience. We can know ourselves and others. We can ponder the past and imagine the future. And although I think all of these claims have some degree of merit, the notion that humans are unique in some way certainly isn't what it used to be today. The philosopher René Descartes wrote in the late 1600s, animals are mere machines, but man stands alone. But as science has progressed and humans have increasingly gained more knowledge of the world and its species, humans have increasingly come to be described in terms from the animal kingdom. For instance, various parts of our human brains are labeled the reptilian brain and the mammalian brain. The reptilian brain fuels our most primitive drives related to things like hunger, thirst, sexuality, and defending territory. When our more rational mammalian brain fails to override the impulses of our reptilian brain, that's when we do the things we regret. But it also goes the other way. Animals have increasingly come to be described in human terms. Chimpanzees have been observed sharing bananas the way that humans share money, which suggests to researchers that they have a sense of fairness. Capuchin monkeys have been observed acting altruistically, that is, assisting others with no obvious benefit to themselves. Researchers claim that these sorts of behaviors are evidence of morality among the animal kingdom. What's more, elephants exhibit many behaviors that suggest they grieve their dead. Elephants take interest in the bones of their relatives and conduct smelling and touching rituals as they repeatedly pass by the body of their matriarch after she dies. Now, both White's critique of religious anthropocentrism 
and science's discoveries of human similarities with the animal kingdom are important cautions for us today. We shouldn't dismiss them and shove them aside. We should be mindful of our dependence upon the earth and its dependence upon us. But the claim of Genesis 1 that humans are made in the image of God remains an important affirmation for Christian faith in our time. To say that humans are exceptional among the rest of creation is not to justify the destruction of the environment or the extinction of species. Instead, it should compel us to deeper intimacy with God and a deeper concern for all that God has created. In certain ways, claims to human uniqueness have been of crucial benefit to society. For one, the foundation of modern notions of human rights is at its core a theological claim. Our very own Declaration of Independence in this country declares that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. Again, a theological claim. You see, to be made in the image of God and thus to have dominion over the earth is not a license or blank check to do whatever we want, but rather it's a summons to deeper responsibility. To have dominion over creation is to be a caretaker of sorts, a nurturer and a sustainer, to ensure that the rest of creation can do what it's supposed to do. To have dominion is to safeguard the creeping thing's ability to creep, the bird's ability to fly, and the fish's ability to swim. One interpreter of this verse says this, Human rule must have positive consequences for the ruled. In ruling, humans must preserve their humanity and remain humane. Whatever other similarities and differences humans have with the rest of creation, it seems fair to say that humans are unique in our capacity for destruction on the one hand, and in our capacity for transcendence on the other. It seems that human lows are lower and human highs higher than anything else we might observe in the natural world. Our aptitude for destruction, first of all, is sadly well documented. According to a 2018 study, since the rise of human civilization, 83% of the Earth's mammal population and 80% of its marine mammal population have been lost. About half the Earth's wild animals are thought to have been lost in just the last 50 years since Lynn White published his article accusing Christianity of being complicit in the Earth's destruction. Today, 70% of the Earth's birds are farmed poultry while 30% are wild, and 60% of the Earth's mammals are livestock, and 36% are humans. That leaves only 4% that are wild animals. But our capacity to destroy ourselves is even more alarming still. Human beings have constructed approximately 15,000 nuclear weapons worldwide and about 108 million people were killed in warfare in the 20th century alone. I could go on, but I think you get the point. Sure, animals hunt and defend their territory, but 
they don't go to war. They don't build bombs. Certainly humans are unique in our capacity for destruction. And yet, human beings are also unique in our faculties for transcendence. And it's here that the text in Genesis anchors us in hope. Humans are capable of great good, great love, and great perseverance. We can solve the problems that plague us. We can overcome tremendous obstacles, and we can pursue healing and wholeness for ourselves and others. Just think of the collective knowledge we possess as a species, the beauty that we can appreciate, that we can create in our art or enjoy in a sunset, the love that we can share and maintain one for another throughout our lifetimes. All of these things are possible because humans have a unique ability to know and love God. You see, to bear the image of God is to exist with the capacity in each and every moment to know and love the one whose image we bear. This is what I mean by transcendence. We can give ourselves to God and be immersed in the peace and love that come from the one from whom all blessings flow. Transcendence is to rest secure in the promise that in life and in death, we belong to God. So it may be true that affirming we're made in the image of God runs the risk of puffing us up with arrogance, which can lead to all kinds of destruction. But it shouldn't, and it doesn't have to. Instead, our human uniqueness lies in our ability to give ourselves to God, to surrender to God's will, and to live from a deep-seated knowledge of God's love. If we understand the divine image we bear to be a constant invitation to give ourselves back to God, we will not sink to the lows of our destructive potential, but rather we will rise to the heights of love and grace that God has always intended for us, for those are the traits of the one whose image we bear. When Jesus was teaching in the temple and the Pharisees asked him the question about paying taxes, he asked them to show him a coin. The coin was made with the image of the emperor Caesar imprinted on it. And so Jesus advised the Pharisees to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to give to God the things that are God's. What belongs to Caesar? that which bears Caesar's image, the coin. But Jesus also says, give to God the things that are God's. And what belongs to God? That which bears God's image, you and I, the human being. It's as if Jesus was saying, give your taxes to Caesar. But more than that, Give yourselves to God. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.